This is Rob Goldstone, editor of Current Directions in Psychological Science. Today's guest is Yoshihisa Kashima, professor in the School of Psychology at University of Melbourne in Australia. He is the lead author of the recently published article, Cultural Dynamics for Sustainability. How can humanity create cultures of sustainability? It's great to have you here, Yoshi. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, good to be here. In your article, you describe existential threats to humanity, including climate change, growing health disparities, and the depletion of precious resources. And you also leverage the notion of niche construction as developed originally in biology. So I'd like to ask you to unpack these. Can I first ask you to describe what niche construction is and some of the ways in which humans do not just adapt to their environments, but also actively change their environments so as to promote their well-being? Well, thank you. Uh, that's a very interesting, important question, actually. Um, niche constructionism itself has uh, two basic pillars of ideas, I think. One is the uh, gene culture coevolutionism. That is to say, both the uh, genetic and the uh, cultural information is uh, transmitted um, uh, through generations and also within generations. And the, uh, both of them play a very important role in the uh, adaptation, uh, human adaptation, but uh, also generally speaking, any sort of a, uh, a, a life forms adaptation to the environment. And the, uh, the other one is that the, um, actually uh, any species, uh, including plants and so on, um, would um, uh, modify their environments uh, in order to adapt. So the beavers who construct the beaver dams and the, yeah, they are very well adapted to mm -hmm. the beaver dam environment that they themselves yeah. create. <laughs> and uh, uh, humans uh, yeah, likewise do the same thing. And the uh, uh, humans, not just the, uh, the physical environment um, we create, but also social environments and institutional environments that we create. And the, uh, in so doing though, we kind of end up adapting to those the, uh, creations um, the, uh, that we made ourselves. So the, uh, both the, the natural environment and the human environments become the environments to which the humans then reconstruct their niche so that we, uh, they can adapt to. So there's a layers and layers of adaptation that we end up creating. So that's right. sort of a um, uh, dynamics. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now that you've laid out the idea of niche construction, how does niche construction relate to these existential threats like climate change? Yeah, that's a very, very important question. Again, um, the, I think I, we have been doing this niche construction all the way through, through our species history. But the, um, um, in, for vast amounts of time in the past, um, the, the kind of damage that we could do <laughs> was fairly limited. And the, uh, the rest of nature, so to speak, and the ecosystem as a whole was so vast that the, uh, the tiny bit of uh, shoving and the pushing that the humans 
may be able to do um, might have caused some local damages, but not a global damage. But the, uh, now that the humans globalized and that we are everywhere on this small planet, uh, the, uh, the kind of damage that, that we could inadvertently do uh, ended up becoming so large that the uh, uh, we, uh, human made um, the uh, threats uh, became uh, uh, the existential threats to us, right? Great. So as humans have developed increasingly sophisticated ways of shaping their environments over the millennia, uh, there may be a tendency for us to think that we are separated from the natural world, cocooned in worlds of our own creation. Do you think that there's a growing disconnect between humans, or at least some large subsets of humans, and nature? And if there is, is that problematic for sustainability and what could be done to counter that trend? Yes, I, uh, I think uh, there's enough evidence to suggest that they, we are kind of feeling disconnected from the environment, especially those of us who are living in the uh, urban environment. And the, uh, you know, more than a majority of the humans are now living in the uh, city and urban environments. So, um, yeah, it's safe to say that uh, we are getting more and more disconnected. And, and you can just look around and the, uh, most of the things that you can see are actually human-made artifacts. And, uh, um, and there's a, a more cultural a, uh, evidence to suggest that the, uh, this, this, uh, there's a, a growing human nature disconnect. So since the uh, oh, uh, many centuries, the, especially the uh, uh, Industrial Revolution, there's evidence to suggest that the English uh, um, dictionary, Oxford English Dictionary's entries have become less and less uh, nature related. And the, uh, also uh, since 1950s or so, uh, many of the uh, um, pop cultural, popular cultural artifacts like movies and the uh, popular songs and the uh, stories uh, uh, include less and less nature-related words. So uh, we are surrounded in the culture that are disconnected from nature and also physically from disconnected. Yeah. And the, uh, how can we um, sort of reconnect ourselves to nature is a, a, again, we have to do it through niche construction, I think. So the, uh, we can recreate uh, our own physical and social environment in such a way that the, there's some sort of a feedback loop um, that's embedded in it. So that the, uh, whatever we do, our actions, the, uh, um, the impact on nature gets fed back to us, sincerely, if possible at all. Yeah, great, great. So, so broadly speaking, there are two strategies for trying to achieve pro-social ends. On the one hand, we could try to change individual desires, beliefs, and actions. And on the other hand, we could try to change institutions, laws, and governance. So in an attempt maybe to try to circumvent people's naturally short-sighted and selfish inclinations. So do you see one of these strategies as more promising than the other? or if positive change requires both approaches, how do you see this individual-oriented and the institution-oriented strategies 
sort of being combined or integrated? Well, I think uh, both of them are essential and important. And the, uh, actually, depending on the historical period in which we are living, perhaps one or the other uh, becomes more important. And they, it really depends on whether the institution is leading a way in thinking about this issue or uh, uh, populations, the uh, civilians, the, uh, we are uh, leading a way in thinking about this. And uh, at this point in history, I have a feeling that the uh, uh, institution is lagging behind. But the, um, uh, yeah, uh, well, both of them are very, very important, depending on. Yeah. Great, yeah, yeah, great point. And it depends a lot about who's in charge of the institutions. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I found it interesting that you advocate people to actively engage in thinking about utopias. And I can imagine critics saying that's the exact problem. <laughs> Idealists wasting time thinking up utopias that are completely impractical and unworkable. So how would you respond to these critics? What's the value in having people develop and share their, their visions for utopias? Yes, uh, utopia has always been a very ambivalent concept. I mean, Thomas More came up with the term, but the, uh, the meaning of it is it's good place, but no place, right? And so in other words, it is a, a great place to live, but it doesn't exist, is what he said. And uh, that kind of ambivalence has carried through the uh, history of this word, I think. And so there's always a danger of a falling into a kind of escapism and just uh, dreaming about something and they are not doing anything. And that, that's the uh, a kind of critic's uh, point and uh, that's very well taken. So in other words, if uh, you're just thinking about it and dreaming about it and, uh, and doing nothing, well, it's not gonna do you any good. But uh, um, um, there has to be somebody who says, I have a dream, right? And that dream has to be shared. And the, uh, I think uh, it is the conversation that this kind of a, I have a dream sort of a, uh, 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 utopian thinking can instigate. And that is really important. And that helps us think about the, and kickstart the discourse about the, what sort of institution we'd like to have. Okay, okay great. Um, to address existential threats to humanity, like climate change and wealth disparities, you make the case that not only geophysicists, economists, and doctors, but rather also psychologists should, play, should have prominent seats at the table for discussions of how to best promote sustainable futures for all of humanity. So can I ask you to describe the uniquely valuable perspective that psychologists bring to these discussions? I believe so. Uh, and I uh, believe that the uh, psychologists ought to be stepping up to the role. And they, uh, there's a very important role to play. Uh, first of all, uh, psychologists are the ones who will be able to say informally and in a principled way, what are the basic human needs? that need to be satisfied and they are potentially into the future. And the, uh, um, 
perhaps say uh, many political scientists and the uh, social philosophers and so on have been uh, speculating about them, but the uh, psychologists can tell people, well, these are basic human needs. And when they are not met, people feel very bad about it. And not only that, not the uh, only mental health suffers, but also perhaps say human strivings might suffer. And these sorts of things can be said. And the uh, another thing I think a, a psychologist can do is to help um, a social scientists and policy scientists uh, redesign institutions in such a way that the, uh, they don't curtail um, or undermine a, a people's a intrinsic motivation and the uh, um, spontaneity in um, striving for their uh, personal goals and the uh, autonomous way of living. And the, uh, it, it's that kind of a um, individual and also probably community and social uh, sort of a environment that the, um, most of us live in um, can be a very well informed by a psychological research and thinking. And uh, I think that's what we should be doing if we haven't, and probably haven't, uh, been doing enough of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for in our discussion with Yoshihisa Kashima. So thank you very much, Yoshi, for continuing this important discussion on how best to promote a sustainable future for humanity. Thank you very much for this time.